of this city. And um, uh, one of the things we're well aware of is that there are people, not everybody's supposed to be at sanctuary on Sunday mornings. God has many voices. There are many people he speaks through a single voice. Uh, different people are connected with different groups and communities. But we feel like God wants us here. And a, a huge part of people reconnecting with the church that are not connected with the church uh, are they come and try out a service. And usually the service they come to try out is usually in the 10 o'clock-ish hour. And so you're really helping us to fulfill our mission and helping us uh, uh, by helping to serve, particularly this kind of time on Sunday morning. But also if some of you would, would think about maybe trying the Saturday night service for, for four times, for 30 days, try it four or five times, and see if it sticks with you. We would appreciate that because that will make space for people to be able to come in and find a seat in a parking space and uh, it will help us reach more people. So uh, those of you that are part of this community, if that would work for you, either the 9 o'clock or the or the um, 5 o'clock service, we'd sure appreciate that. The gospel this morning is out of John chapter 6, starting at verse 41. It says that this, the Jews began to grumble about Jesus because they said, because he had said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. They complained about it because they said, wait a minute, you're the bread that comes down from heaven. Aren't you Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose mom and dad we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? We know where you came from. And then Jesus says, stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise up that person on the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father learns from the Father and comes to me. Now, the Gospel reading this morning shows us that Jesus ran into a snag while representing the Father to individuals who are, were around him. The problem was they were, he was too familiar to them. He, they said here, isn't this Jesus? We know him. I mean, the son of Joseph, mom and dad we know, the carpenter guy. How is he saying he's representing something of the eternal? They committed the sin that's been call, come to be called the sin of familiarity. And what this sin is, is that it's the inability to see the eternal because there's too much familiarity. There's too much natural kind of acquaintance. And uh, we see uh, this idea that sometimes people get so familiar with things, they cannot see the eternal in it. Jesus, for instance, when he talks about the sunshine, remember what he said? The Father sends the sunshine. It's a very natural, everyday thing. But Jesus saw the eternal behind it. We become so familiar with it, we just think it's sunshine. He said the rain is sent by the Father. We look at rain, we just think, oh, it's you know, the weather. And, and Jesus always looked behind because it's so easy to look at natural things and blow off or not be able to see past it to the eternal. Uh, there's another example of this in John 12 where Jesus is praying. This is before the Passion. And he's praying to the Father. He says, Father, glorify your name. And a voice comes out of heaven, out of the heavens, saying, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Now, the crowd that was there, it goes on to say, heard it. Some said that it thundered. Others said, no, something from heaven speaking to him. An angel or something is speaking to him. See, noise in heaven, everyone, it's familiar to everyone. It's called thunder. When you hear something in heaven, you know, it's thunder. That's the way they interpreted it. But some 
because of the naturalness of the world, they, could, they couldn't listen past to the eternal. There was something eternal going on, but it escaped them because it was in a natural kind of context. That's the problem that Jesus encounters in our text this morning. He is so familiar to a number of them, they, can't, they just think he's thundering. They can't hear the eternal. They're questioning him. What are you saying that you're from heaven? What, what is the message? You're, you're, just a, you're a carpenter for crying out loud. We know your mom and dad. We know where you're from, right? This isn't the first time this has happened to Jesus. In Mark 6, we read this gospel several weeks ago. It says Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What is the wisdom that he's been given that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? <laughs> Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of Joseph and uh, James and Joseph, Judas and Simon aren't? His sister's here with us, and they took offense at him. Those are basically saying, there's got to be a scam going on here. What are you doing magic or something? What's really going on here? You're just, you're carpenter Jesus. You know, Starbucks barista Sarah, you know, who are you? You're just, we know you, right? And Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor and he could not do any miracles there interestingly god it, it, it's this notion i mean god's almighty and god's sovereign but he always responds and respects people so he's not going to force anything on anybody miracles take cooperation and so this this problem that jesus has here he has the problem of familiarity he's representing the father He's representing the kingdom, and some people were screening it out because of familiarity. Now, interestingly, we share in the calling to represent eternity as Jesus did. And we represent Jesus. We actually run into the same snag in our lives. People can't see past us, right? They are often too familiar with us. We're called the body of Christ, which means we're extensions of him. We're his hands in the world, his eyes in the world, his mouth in the world, his feet in the world. And even though we're his body, uh, and we're told by Jesus that we are the salt of the earth in Matthew 5. The salt of the earth. And then he says in the next verse, you are the light of the world. See, we represent something other than ourselves. A city that cannot be hid. Paul jumps in in a similar claim. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. See, all of us, we're like these ambassadors. You know, when the, the, the guys that are going to the Olympics that are American Olympians, you know, they, they know that they're there with their individual ability, but they also know that they're representing us, Americans. We, there's got to be this sense in us that, yeah, my name's Ed, you know, I have a job, but I'm not just me. I'm representing I'm representing Christ. And it's as if, Paul says, God is calling out to people through us. That through our actions and through our words, it's actually God calling out to the world. We're representing him. It's, it's said rather oddly in Exodus 7, but it captures it crisply. It says in, in verse 1, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God. On some level, we're like God to people, to our relatives, to our spouse, 
to our children, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our to our fellow citizens. The, the most some will ever see of God, because they won't pray, they won't pursue God, they won't study, they won't come to a church. The most some will ever see of God until eternity, until they step into eternity, is you. Some people will never see any more God than they see through you. This gives us a, an opportunity to live a significant life. This gives us an opportunity to recognize that our, our, our lives are not our own. And yet, even though this is a great opportunity, just as in the case of the gospel today, where, where, where we realize Jesus couldn't control people's responses and often people just blew him off because of their familiarity with him, people will blow us off. We're not any greater than our master. And they will, they will look at us and think we're onlys. You know, we're only a carpenter. We're only a, a doctor. We're only a mom or a dad. Right? Some just will not be able to see the eternal through everyday kind of people like us. And in the text, what's interesting is Jesus is not surprised at that. He's not thrown by that. He doesn't become coercive or try to persuade them past that. He really just basically says that even though that's true, there's still something else going on that they cannot see. That's beyond your familiarity with me. There's something more. So he makes the statement. He recognized that there was this invisible aspect to the whole kingdom enterprise. He recognized that, that God would step into the process directly in spite of any human effort or by what anybody would actually see naturally. And when they complained about him being the son of Joseph, when they complained about him knowing his father and mother and the fact that he was the carpenter down the road, he says, stop grumbling, you guys. No one can come to me unless God jumps in the mix. God who sends me draws him, and I'll raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, people will have to be taught by God. That's how people get convinced. It's not because they're convinced by us, is that we are representing, and then God jumps in and teaches them. Everyone listens to the Father and learns from him, comes to me. I love this. I love that Jesus is not trying to own people's responses. He's just simply doing his part. He's representing, and he's trusting that God will not be thrown off because of their response, but that God will move in spite of them, their initial reaction to Jesus. And somehow step back, realizing that his representation carried something deeper than what people could see. It's kind of like um, a cold. You know, when you have a cold, if you want to spread it, your responsibility is to cough at people. Right? Is <coughs> saw a little kid yesterday at Petco getting some dog food for my dog Frank not all dogs go to heaven Frank's not going to heaven he, he's going to hell trust me on this this little kid <coughs> coughed on her hand right well see the reality is is, is, is when you're carrying a cold you've you got some stuff you do but the reality is there's something more than a cough going on I remember I was when I used to work in physical therapy. I was an assistant in physical therapy assistant way back before many of you were born. And uh, this 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 older physical therapist was talking to me about this patient. And I was you know kind of leaning in, it was a little bit noisy in the room. I was kind of leaning in. She was right here, and just as I'm leaning in, she goes <coughs> right in my face. I mean the wet, literally, literally, within 
10 minutes. Let it go. I mean, something more than a cough had happened. See, this is what Jesus knew. That as he represented <coughs> at the world, <coughs> at people, that they might go, you're just a carpenter. You know, you're, we know your brothers and sisters. You know, he knew that something would get on them and that they would be taught by God. And they would be gripped. See, you and I are not trying to sell everyone the message of Jesus. We don't have to coerce people. We don't have to get mad at them if they resist us. And not everybody will catch the cold. Right? We, we, all we're supposed to do is just go out and <coughs> people. God does the transformation. You and I, we do not have to coerce or persuade, even with our kids. We've got to. I'll, I'll share in a moment what I think we have to do specifically. But, but um, somehow we have to live in that way that God gets in the mix because the real issue that has to happen is God has to communicate faith to people. Faith is a gift, not a persuasion. Right? Uh, Ephesians 2 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is faith. It's not from yourself. What is this faith? It is the gift of God. See, as, we, as we represent God in our actions, as we represent God in our words, what ends up happening is we sort of create an environment of expectation within our hearts to God, not unlike what was going on in Genesis, in that Genesis moment. Let me remember the beginning of the story. It says that, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth is formless and empty, and darkness is over the surface of the deep, not much happening. But then the Spirit of God's hovering. He's there. And as we read the narrative, it says, God said, and then it was so. It's almost this idea that, that what, as we walk into our homes, as we walk into our lives, as we walk into our culture, that, that what we're expecting is as we just simply live our lives appropriately and say the kind of things God wants us to say, that the Holy Spirit's hovering to bring transformation. But it isn't us having to persuade. I love this. I love this. Um, Paul says the, basically the same thing in 2 Corinthians 3 when he talks about this not being our responsibility, really. But we just present, and God does stuff with that. He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? He says, this isn't about us. Or do we need some, like some of you, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Are we trying to really just make the kingdom about verbal persuasion like we're in some sort of political agenda? He said, no, you guys yourselves, you're, you're our letter that's written in our hearts, known and read by everybody. You know that you're a letter from Christ. It's the result of our ministry, but, but it's not written with ink, not with human ink but with the Spirit of the living God. Somehow in our ministry, the Spirit of the living God is hovering, and, and, and you're written into a letter, not by tablets of stone or ink on paper, but, but the Holy Spirit actually writes on the table, tablets of your heart. He's saying, this isn't just a human thing where we're trying to just get out and you know persuade you, like carving words in a stone or writing on, on you and just forcing you to believe what we... It's not that. We just, we just talk... We engage, and our trust is the Holy Spirit is writing on your heart. He says, such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. We're not competent in ourselves to claim that we're pulling anything off. It's not our great persuasion that's getting people to follow Jesus. 
Our competence comes from God. He made us competent as ministers of the new covenant, not of some kind of letter that's managed by humans, but by the Spirit. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. What he's saying is we're not responsible for the results of the gospel. Yay! Excuse me. We don't have to get offended when people don't get it from us. We don't... Jesus, some people didn't get it from Jesus. If, If they didn't get it from him, I mean, obviously he's our master. We're not going to do better than him. The point is, is the best we can do is, is represent and trust God beyond that. So what do we do? Simple thing. i got three little simple things for you. Number one is, decide in your life you're going to reflect him by how you live. Now, this is a little bit gnarly. And, and really, we could tease this out for a month but, or longer. Basically, it means... You need to fight for wholeness in your life. You need, you need, you need to live wholesome lives. Um, St. Francis said this. It's, a, it's an awesome quote. He says, above all the grace and the gifts that Christ gives to his beloved. I mean, better than you being able to talk well or better than you being able to sing amazingly when God's power just falls, better than you being the next American idol, better than you being an amazing entrepreneur and all those gifts, all that stuff, all that's wonderful. But he says, the, above all that, that he gives to his beloved, is that of conquering self. We, you know, let me tell you this, just honestly, as one who has several gold medals in the sin category. You're talking, you're, you're listening to an expert now. There is a way for you to walk in freedom. There is a way where you do not have to live consistently in addiction or under some kind of bondage. Jesus has a way to pass out a, a, a road, a, give you a road that will help you consistently win. Where internally you don't have to always, and, and privately you don't have to always be failing. Now it doesn't. You're not going to figure it out in a day. And it is a fairly gnarly thing. In fact, let me just give you a couple of the things you're going to have to do. I, if you're struggling with sin, number one, if you're going to deal with it, you're going to, if you want to see success, you want to catch the road God has for freedom for you, you're going to have to own it. You can't say, well, you know, I just have been under a lot of pressure. Or, you know, I just, you know, I think I've just been overtired. Dude, you're a sinner. Own it. You toad. Listen, everybody sins. And the people that don't sin or don't think they sin, they are really sinning in the fact they don't think they sin. They have holier sins. You know, it's like that. I, I, listen, I'm not kidding you. I freak out when people look down on people. I mean, it just, it's, I'm not kidding you. It just creates against me. So I look down on people who look down on people. It's, it's actually a holier sin. Some of you have some really holy sins. Right? <clears throat> so own it, number one. Number two, confess it. 1 John 1, 9 is so beautiful. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. That means he'll do it every time. He's more faithful to forgive what you confess than you are faithful to sin. You'll never beat God. No matter how many times you sin, he is faithful, if you will confess it, to forgive you. And it says he's also just. 
which means somehow justice demands forgiveness instead of sending you to hell. Thank God for the cross. Right? And he'll cleanse us not only from the sin we confess, but from all unrighteousness, which means he'll cleanse you from the stuff that you don't know that you're being stupid about. This is a beautiful thing, but you've got to confess your sin. Now, when you confess it, once you get past the guilt of it and you know God has forgiven you, this is where a lot of people don't do it, particularly evangelicals, we're bad at this, is once we get forgiven, we think, praise God, it's over. It's, 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 it's as if it never happened. I'm totally forgiven. I'm going to pretend it never happened. There's a problem there. You need to go back into it after the guilt, after the forgiveness, and say, okay, God, I have a little pattern going on here. Could you talk to me about why I'm being such a moron here? What's triggering it? Why am I interested in this? Why am I trying to scratch myself with a chainsaw? This is destructive. What's going on inside me? And you need to pray into and ask God to help you catch why you're being an idiot. Right? Not in guilt. You've been forgiven. But pray into it. If it's a pattern, number four, if it's a pattern that seems to persist, you're going to have to invite somebody else into the process. Because sometimes there's a brokenness in us we can't see ourselves. And coming to somebody else and say, you know what, I am struggling here. There's a great text in James that says, confess your sins, not to God here. Yeah, it's assumed to God, but confess your sins also to one another, that you may be healed. See, there's sometimes a brokenness in us that if we don't get it out, there's some dark times, sometimes darkness in us, that if we don't get it out for someone else to see, we will never experience real true freedom. There's something very powerful. Say, well, I don't know who to talk to. You better pray about it. <laughs> because you want to talk to somebody who's a real friend. Because that can backfire on you quick. And or, one of the good things I think is wonderful, is go see a counselor and tell them if he or she says something, they lose their license. <laughs> it's awesome! They can't tell a soul! It's a beautiful thing! But you've got to tell somebody. I have a couple of priest friends that I kid you not, I go to and tell them my sins. And you know why I do it to them? Because they believe they'll go to hell if they tell anybody. This is a win! <laughs> this is a win for me. And I tell you what, when you tell someone your stuff, and you open up, I'll tell you what happens. It, 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 it creates a humility that's pretty amazing. And, and, and that person, if they're a good person, they hear your heart and they love you and they're a saint or a Christian, you know, they love God. It's like Jesus has a physical face on him. I can't tell you how deeply healing that is. And not only that, when you have a regular person you talk to like that, it's amazing how that begins to inform your life because a few days away from that, if you start thinking of something stupid, you think, oh, I'm going to have to tell somebody about this. Probably not going to do it. It's a beautiful thing. And then, Lastly, about that, start some good patterns of prayer. We have to pray more. Find some patterns, times in the day, maybe during breaks at work instead of just going and hanging and jawjacking. Just pull aside somewhere and just talk to God for a little bit. Because Jesus said to his disciples, pray that you enter not into temptation. See, if temptation is overtaking you, it's because you're not praying enough. You and I need to pray so that temptation doesn't have nearly the pull on it and that we start reacting differently to the triggers that used to trigger us into the failure. It starts triggering us into trust. There is a way for you to be free. Okay, so number one, if we're going to 
reflect God into the world, we've got to reflect him by living whole lives. God does not use people who are not whole. God doesn't care where you work if you don't know how to work. God doesn't care who you're married to if you're a selfish slob who can't love another person. Why would he tell you who to marry? He might have someone in mind, but why would God torment them if you never get changed? Unless they're under great judgment. <laughs> so you want to represent, you want to change the world, you want to be effective, you want to make a difference. Look in the mirror, baby. Secondly, we reflect him by how we love. Not just how we are in wholeness, but how we love. And this, the most perfect way to love may surprise you. It's not preaching at people. It's not correcting people. It's not coercing belief or righteous behavior. I mean, it has those things. I mean, you certainly can teach people in a right kind of heart, but it's not, we're talking about love initially isn't that. Love initially is what Jesus describes in Matthew 5 is kind of surprising. He says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Every time I read that, there's something right about that. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. And then he ruins it. I tell you, Jesus will ruin your life. I'm telling you right now. I don't know what people tell you, but he ruins your life. Because you have all these ideas about what you think you want, what you think is good, or go ahead. But I tell you, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for people who persecute you. Not curse them. Pray for them, that God will bless them. What is he thinking? That, why would we do this? That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. See, we represent the Father the most when we love people reckless. Unconditionally. In caution. He says, because God sends this wonderful thing called sunshine to rise on evil and good people. He sends this thing that produces great fruit, rain, on righteous people and unrighteous people. It just seems to me it would be better if he just sent... We're done. Let's stand up. God bless you. <laughs> Actually, sit down for a second. <laughs> He's done, but we're not quite done. Actually, that was really good. We just, you need to finish that sometime. <laughs> Wasn't that good? One of the ways that we're reflecting, reflecting, that's so important. One of the ways we're trying to reflect the nature of God around here is through our backpack outreach. So let's, let's watch what we're trying to do here.
Awesome. We asked you to give last week. You give about half the budget. We're just asking you to, to, to give again this week. Uh, some of you might not have been here. $13 will provide a backpack and school supplies for a needy child for a year. $13. And many of these kids are going back to school, and they just don't have the stuff. They just don't have the supplies. We're packing it. Our youth are uh, going to be packing that this week and putting all those things together. So multiples of 13. I'm asking you to give what you can give. If you can give $13, you help one child for an entire year. You give $130, you help 10. So we have calculators down here if you want multiples of that. Okay, and so um, uh, anyway, we're going to ask our ushers to come here in a second. But again, this is all about reflection. It's about a child getting a backpack and somebody handing it to them. They go, where'd this come from? Well, there's this church over here that uh, wanted, wanted you to know that somebody's thinking about you. You may never talk to them. Um, you may never know who they are. But they're going to know that somebody attached to the nature of God, attached to Jesus, is, cares about them. About a third of these backpacks are going to go to homeless teenagers. We've got a lot of homeless teenagers in Tulsa. And uh, we have a connection with a program that works with homeless teenagers that's trying to help them uh, not stay there and to think about a whole new idea in their life. So it, so it supplies hy- hygiene needs, socks, as well as some school supplies for street school going to help them get off the streets. And so about 150 backpacks is what our goal is. And so based on what you give, we'll be able to hopefully fund that entire thing. So ushers, if you'd come, pass this out. Um, as you give, it'll go. all this will go into this, into this program. Thank you for your faithfulness in this. Again, it, uh, it means something to people when you meet these very practical needs in their life. You all do a phenomenal job of these things. We do several of these throughout the year, different kinds of things like this. And uh, you show your heart when you give to these, and you, you, you do a phenomenal job of this. So as you give, why don't you stand to your feet, and we will be ready to go. Let's raise our voices as we close today. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy As you go today, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May His face turn towards you and give you peace. So go in peace. If you're in need of prayer, our prayer team will be over at the cross this morning. Let's go be a reflection. Go give your life away. Bless you as you go.